0: Welcome to the GRF On The Go podcast. The subject matter experts at GRF CPAs and Advisors created this podcast to offer insights on current topics, as well as new ideas and best practices that your team can apply today. This podcast was originally presented as a live webinar. CPE information provided during the podcast is no longer valid, but if you're interested in watching the video version of this session or accessing the slide deck, visit our website at grfcpa.com forward slash events. Enjoy the episode and remember to subscribe for future content.
1: Hello, I want to welcome everyone participating in today's webinar, Mastering Your Statement of Functional Expenses. My name is Isabel Mulatto, and I'm an audit senior here at GRF. Today, we are joined by members of our audit and not-for-profit tax team, Lindsay Dean, Lisa Heller, and Kimberly Erb. Participants seeking CPE credit today must complete and submit a short evaluation survey that will appear automatically following the webinar. To obtain CPE, please participate in each of the polling questions throughout the session, as that will be how we gauge your active participation. Please note that this webinar is not intended as financial or legal advice. This is simply for educational purposes. We're GRF CPAs and advisors based out of Bethesda, Maryland, serving clients in the DMV, as well as nationally and internationally. Our firm serves a wide range of clients covering not-for-profit, for-profit, schools, government contractors, and others. However, our particular niche is within the NFP-INGO space. We've been in operation for several decades and recently celebrated our 40-year anniversary in 2021. With that, I'll turn things over to Lindsay to discuss today's agenda.
2: Thanks, Isabel. So on the agenda today, we have overview of functional expenses, we're going to go over some best practices for expense management, some methods that you can use for your cost allocations, common pitfalls and potential solutions, and then talk about the significance of the functional to the preparation of the night. Okay, so we're going to start out with an overview and just recap of functional expenses to talk about um, this, what they are and. Little bit of background. Functional expenses are a unique concept to tax exempt organizations and essentially it requires you to group your expenses by function. So you're going to be presenting your costs on both the program and the supporting category basis as well as the natural expense categories such as salaries, benefits, rent, etc. in one place. Previously, only voluntary health and welfare organizations were required to present this information. However, basically starting in 2018, uh, the FASB implemented a standard regarding presentation of financial statements for -for not-for-profit entities, and has required that all nonprofit organizations do include this presentation. The standard also provided some additional clarification and illustrations of how the cost of direct conduct or direct supervision of program or support functions can be allocated from management in general to the different program and supporting categories that they they benefit. And as far as why this is now required, um, there's an excerpt from the guidance that's that's shown on this slide. So the purpose is to help donors, creditors, and any other readers in assessing the not-for-profits service efforts, including the cost of its services and how it uses its resources. So you really want to show how the different expenses support your organization's programs and services. So on the next slide, we have the importance of allocations. So yes, this is a required uh, statement or information to present. However, there are other reasons that it's also very beneficial and important to uh, go through this exercise and present uh, the functional expenses. Uh, The first one being that if you're accurately allocating your expenses, it's really going to give you a lot of clarity as you're performing your budgeting, your performance evaluation, and just planning throughout the year. So it's going to enable management to identify all the program costs, and including an allocation of applicable administrative costs so that each program is really showing the full cost uh, on the statements. And if you are doing the allocation accurately throughout the year, it's going to help management and the board to make more informed decisions. So they're going to be able to see uh, the full cost of those programs and also uh, being too quiet. Um, And also it's going to help them to make more informed decisions. And from an analytical basis, if they're looking at that throughout the year, you can really pinpoint if there are any exceptions or anomalies. So maybe you have a program that doesn't have any travel costs that you're aware of and you start seeing travel popping up under that functional category. You have the opportunity to look at that before you get to the end of the year and you really have an issue. So I think it's really a useful tool for management and the board throughout the year. We all also know that donors and outside readers are also reviewing this information and it's important to them. So from that perspective, they wanna see, you know, how much of their dollars are going to uh, the program versus management in general or fundraising. So it's very important um, from that aspect as well. And, you know, they're gonna be making their decisions on what organizations to support in part sometimes um, because of this ratio and and the, the functional breakdown. Once you do receive a grant from a donor, this allocation of the actual costs to the different programs is also gonna ensure that the project is receiving the, uh, the full costs that can be allocated, allocated to it. And hence, you can reflect back to the donor that you have uh, spent those funds and recover the grant funds from the donor. So it's very important to uh, have that be accurate and, and be able to recover the full grant award funds. And finally, allocate costs equally to all programs. That kind of goes along with the recovery, but just making sure that you have that, um, that allocation to each program based on um, what it actually has incurred. So everyone's required to present the expenses by both natural expense and functional classification. However, there are different presentation options. You can have the information on the face of the statement of activities themselves. You can have a separate statement of functional expenses, which is the the choice of the majority of our clients, for sure, or you can disclose the information in the footnotes. Whatever methodology you do decide to choose, it's also important to have this reflect back to the 990 documentation, so you should be able to, you know, reconcile with any required adjustments between the two reports. The standard also requires you to disclose information regarding your allocation methodology as well. So in your footnotes, you're gonna have a, a note that talks about how you came up with the methodology. On the next slide, we have a few additional details regarding the presentation requirements. The first being that if any expenses are reported in other line items within the statement of activities, So for example, if you have salaries that are in cost of goods sold or some of our clients have uh, special events with direct benefits to donors that are being netted against the the revenue for those events, so those should be included in the functional schedule by their natural classification. Uh, Alternatively, the external and direct internal investment expenses that are netted against investment return on the statement of activities in accordance with the standard, those should not be included in the functional expense analysis. This slide shows an example of a typical functional expense statement that we see. So you'll see the, the programs and the supporting activities up across the top. Um, And then the the natural categories on the left-hand side where you can see the breakdown of salaries, uh, depreciation, et cetera. One thing I like to point out on this presentation is that you'll see, for example, depreciation is allocated all across the depreciation line. Uh, One thing that we see sometimes clients do and we discourage is to have like a below the line other allocation of um, administrative expenses. So you can see So it's better to have it within the natural category that it applies to, Um, so keep that in mind as well. Now we're going to get into the actual categories on the functional expense statement. So you'll have program services. We'll, We'll talk about the definition of that on the next slides, And then you have your supporting activities, which are generally going to include management in general, fundraising if you have a, a donation component of your financials and then membership development if you do have members. You can allocate the costs directly or or if there's indirect costs allocate them based on this methodology. And Kim's gonna talk a little bit more about the details of those two categories in the future. So for program program services, uh, these are going to represent the activities that result in goods and services being distributed to beneficiaries, customers, or members that fulfill the purpose or mission for which the nonprofit organization exists. So these are all the expenses that are really furthering your organization's exempt purpose. Management in general is the sort of the supporting services category, and there are a lot of items that fall under this, but we have oversight, general business management, record keeping, payroll, budgeting, uh, financing, and soliciting funds other than contributions and membership dues. So um, an example of this would be, we have a lot of organizations that get government grants, and so sometimes the proposal process for those grants is going to fall more under management in general rather than uh, fundraising per se. On the next slide, there's some continuation of management in general, so you have administering the government foundation uh, contracts, including billing, collecting fees, as well as grant and contract financial reporting. So. I think this one is important to to point out because a lot of times we'll have the question come up if uh, my accountant is completing a financial report for a grant, can i can I charge that to the grant? And generally, um, on the functional expense statement, that is going to be a management in general cost because it, it's not the direct conduct or supervision of a of a program. So that's uh that's one area that we see a lot. Also, disseminating information to the public and producing the annual report management in general. Um, Generally, the human resource function is going to be primarily management in general. Um, If those individuals are supporting the entire entity that's going to be under that management in general category. And then any other management administration except for the direct conduct of program services or membership development activities. On the next slide, you have fundraising. So um, this is going to include areas like publicizing and conducting fundraising campaigns, maintaining donor listings, conducting special fundraising events, preparing and distributing fundraising manuals, instructions, and other materials, or conducting other activities that are involved with soliciting contributions. So it is important to remember that um, if you are advertising your fundraising events and campaigns, you know, typically that's going to also fall under fundraising, and this is an area that, you know, if you have contributions, readers are going to be looking for some sort of fundraising expense unless your fundraising is done all by volunteers or there's some other type of exception. And then finally, you have membership development, which is the other typical supporting service that we see. And this is going to involve soliciting for prospective members and membership dues, membership relations, and any other similar activities. So now that we have a general idea of uh, functional expenses and the categories, I'm going to pass it
3: on to him to go over some best practices. Thanks, Lindsay. As Lindsay mentioned, you know, now that we have a general idea of what the functional expense statement is and what it's comprised of, there are um, a good number of best practices that are good to follow when creating your statement of functional expenses. Um, And the overall theme here with your best practices is to be intentional when you're creating your statement of functional expenses. The statement is really intended to capture the activities of the organization and communicate these activities to donors, the board, internal management, et cetera. Um, And so being thoughtful and intentional on how it's generated will really go a long way in how donors perceive your organization. Um, So the first general theme I want to talk about is best practices surrounding natural expense categories. Um, Overall, it's good to keep in mind that less is more, and it's best to keep the number of expense categories that you show pretty limited. Um, Too many categories could overwhelm the reader, and it really could just be a little bit too detailed and nuanced for what is necessary to convey the information that you want to show. Um, As a rule of thumb, I generally recommend 5 to 10 categories as a best practice. Um, You want to pick the categories that are most representative to your organizational activity. Certain categories can be combined like printing and production and things like that Um, can be maybe combined with postage um, just as an example. Um, Some things to avoid are lumping a lot of expenses into an other or a miscellaneous expense line item. It's certainly fine to have a line item like that, but you want to keep the amount of expenses in that line item fairly minimal and not just throw a bunch of random items in there if possible. Um, And you also want to try and avoid using a generalized natural category, such as something called program services Um, is something I see often. Um, If you have a line item like that, it's best to kind of take a look at what's in there. Maybe it's consulting fees or something like that that can be broken out into a more true natural expense category rather than something like program services. Um, And finally, you want to keep these categories pretty consistent year to year if you can, um, both in the natural categories you're showing on your functional and how your expense accounts are actually grouped um, into the natural categories. So if you have certain expense accounts grouped into consulting fees um, or professional fees, you wanna keep that pretty consistent year to year. And if there are changes, it's just best to go back into the prior year and update accordingly so that you can be comparative year to year. Um, The second sector I wanna talk about is programmatic expense categories. Um, And the main thing to consider here is what you wanna tell with the organization's story. Um, So you really want to focus on presenting your largest and most representative programmatic um, categories, if possible. So for organizations with a smaller number of programs um, that kind of have an equal disbursement of expenses, this might be straightforward um, if you have like one to four programs to just show them all on the face of the functional expense statement. However, if you have a large number of programs, um, you know, five to 10 or maybe even more, Um, I think it's more important to focus on your largest programs with the most expenses that the organization is most focused on to highlight on the statement of functional expense and then maybe combine those smaller programs into one category of other program expenses just so that the reader doesn't get overwhelmed with the number of programs that are on the functional expense statement. And then with allocation methodologies, It's really best practice to first and foremost, make sure that your allocation methodology is well documented within the organization. Um, And I'll go into more detail about different types of allocation methodology shortly. But whichever ones that are chosen, they really need to be well documented in a procedure manual so that you can convey that information to accounting staff, and they're aware of how costs need to be allocated and this ensures that methodology will remain consistent on a year to year basis. Um, Additionally, you want to make sure that you're reviewing your allocations at least on an annual basis um, from an analytical perspective to make sure that the allocations are remaining consistent and to identify and flag any unusual fluctuations. You know, for example, if you generally, historically, um, have allocated about 70% of your salaries to one specific program, and then during this year you notice that only 40% of salaries are allocated to that program, it'd be best to kind of look into maybe what's causing that, if, there's, if that's really an accurate allocation, if something went wrong, or if maybe the program changed a little bit. So just flagging for any unusual allocations um, would be helpful. And then moving on to the next slide, um, another important category for best practices is employee time. So in nonprofit organizations, as I'm sure many of you know, salaries make up a substantial and huge portion of overall expenses for the organization. And that being said, the allocation of employee time is really important in the overall presentation of the functional expense statement. And so it's really best practice to ensure that employee time is appropriately allocated and reflective of actual time worked. If your organization is using timesheets, then you just wanna make sure that employees are completing these timesheets in a timely manner, um, that they're accurate, and that there are appropriate oversight policies in place to ensure that their time is recorded accurately. If timesheets are not used, it's really important to be holding frequent discussions and time studies with your staff to make sure you're aware about what kind of projects they're working on, and how they're benefiting the organization. Um, And a reason that this can be important is because there are certain roles that are generally administrative in nature, such as an HR manager or a CEO, where most of their time is probably going to go to management and general costs. However, there are instances where those roles could be serving programs and some of their time could be charged to a program, um, such as the HR manager being involved in programmatic planning or a CEO assisting with overall program strategy or something of that nature. Um, And then you can actually reflect that time as benefiting the program, rather all to MNG um, as it may normally go to if you weren't talking to these employees and doing studies on their time. We also want to consider the frequency of when the statement of functional expense is generated and how it's updated throughout the year. It's best practice to try and do allocations in real time throughout the year when possible. Um, Waiting until the end of the year to allocate out all of the expenses could lead to inaccurate results. And you also wanna make sure that your organization is being proactive on making any updates to any changes throughout the year. That could be changes to allocation methodologies. Maybe there's a new program that the organization is pursuing. Maybe new natural categories have come up. Um, And you wanna be aware of these items throughout the year so that you can consider how the allocation is gonna change and how the presentation will look different. Some other examples of changes to look out for are any new debt, any new office spaces, or any change in staffing levels or positions. And then finally, I wanna highlight membership development for those organizations that are membership-based as membership development is usually kind of an overlooked category that is not always pulled out on the statement of functional expense. Um, And it's really important for membership organizations to show this category um, which is usually the cost of soliciting new members, communicating with current members, as Lindsay discussed. Um, and it helps communicate to the reader that there are specific services and expenses that are incurred from members and to further the membership of the organization. And it's better to show these separately rather than be all lumped in with GNA. And um, I see a question here about the timekeeping system, if it isn't robust and you can't charge time to different programs, any suggestions on how to track this? Um, I've seen a couple different methodologies used by organizations. Um, Sometimes you could do like a estimate budget percent um, on what you think these employees are working and then just revisit it on a monthly or quarterly basis with the employee to see if those percentages are accurate. And if they're still in line with kind of what they're working on, Um, you could also have employees track time on their own and communicate that to management, depending on the number of employees you have, that might not be feasible. Um, But if you have a small staff, it might be more realistic. Um, And you can also look into different timekeeping systems. I know that's not always ideal, um, but if you find that your organization is growing and you have a large number of staff, it might be beneficial to look into a timekeeping system that could track that. Right, so moving on to the next um, slide, we'll get more into detail on allocation methodologies and different methodologies that you can use to create your statement of functional expense. So on this next slide, we'll see two overall allocation methodologies that you can use. Um, And it's important to note that in most cases, the organization will be using both of these methodologies just for different expenses and in different scenarios. So first, we have direct allocation. um, And direct allocation is used for costs that can be readily identified as benefiting one specific program. And this is the preferred method when possible because it's taking a cost and it's directly to that program and you just directly put it to that area. Um, Some examples of what a direct cost may be are, you know, purchases of supplies or services that benefit one specific program. Like if you purchased supplies that are going to be used in a specific program or if you engaged a consultant to assist with the furtherance of a specific program, that could be a direct cost. Um, Maybe the salary of a fundraising director who is only exclusively working on fundraising, 100% of their salary could be allocated to fundraising as a direct expense, or maybe even lease expense of a building that is only used to serve clients of a specific program could be a direct allocation. On the other side of the coin, we have indirect allocations, and these are indirect expenses that cannot be readily identified as benefiting one specific program. And you'll use this methodology when the direct cost method is too burdensome or just not realistic. Some examples of what may be a indirect cost would be least expense of your main office location that is used by all employees and the organization as a whole. Since it's used on a high level by everyone, there's really no way to directly allocate that to a specific program, and you would need to use an indirect cost allocation to do so. Another example is depreciation, Um, and I saw a comment in the chat earlier about how, you know, you usually allocate depreciation to management in general, and I see that a lot um, from clients as well. And we encourage the allocation out of depreciation um, because usually I mean, and there are cases where it could just be management in general, but say depreciation of computers that are used by various employees within the organization that are working on a bunch of different programs. That depreciation can be allocated out between the programs because they're supporting a variety of employees working on a variety of tasks. Um, Another example of indirect costs would be salaries of staff working and assisting on various programs. So all of that being said, with indirect allocations, there are a couple of different methodologies that you can use to allocate your indirect costs. So moving on to the next slide, um, we'll go over a total of four um, common indirect cost allocation methodologies, which are staff hours, staff salaries, percent of direct costs, and square footage. Um, it's important to note that these are not the only options Um, there are other cost allocation methods out there these are just ones that i see really commonly and i think um, can be used in a variety of costs so on this slide we'll go over first staff hours Um, this is most commonly used when to allocate staff salaries Um, so this kind of comes back to the timekeeping that I was talking about before. And it's used when employees split their time between various programs. Um, and that's why it is important to ensure that if you're using timesheets, that they're accurate and that they're timely. And if you're not, that you're doing time studies or some other method to track employee time because staff hours are a really good method to allocate staff salaries. And you would just take the number of hours on each program as a percentage of the whole to allocate out their salary between the programs. The next one is staff salaries can be used as a basis to allocate indirect costs. Um, And it's most commonly applied to allocate other salary dependent shared costs, such as benefits, payroll taxes, bonuses, retirement expenses. Um, And they would use the, the salary allocations to allocate these expenses as well. So if you have 30% of salaries on one program, 50% of salaries in another program, you would pull those um, allocations down to those shared salary costs to allocate them out as well. And then we'll go into the next one on this slide. Um, Another common method is a percent of direct costs. Um, And this methodology can be used to allocate a really wide variety of indirect costs. Um, And what you do is it considers direct costs for one natural category and the percent of those direct costs will be used to allocate the indirect costs. It's a little bit of a mouthful. So as an example, if you were trying to allocate out office supplies, um, say that you had $30,000 in office supply expense for the whole year and you noticed that a total of that $30,000, there was $15,000 of direct office costs that could be directly allocated to programs. So of that 15,000 direct expenses, you notice that 30% was allocated to program A, 50% to program B, and 20% to management in general. You would use those percentages to allocate the indirect portion of that natural expense category amongst the various programs. Um, and due to the basis and the nature of this method, it can be used on a wide variety of costs um, that you want to allocate out. And the final one I want to talk about is the square footage method. Um, This method is most commonly used to allocate occupancy costs such as rent, utilities, telephone, maintenance, depreciation, things like that. And it works by determining the square footage use of each program in the building. Um, And you would take that square footage use divided by the total square footage for the whole building and use that percentage to allocate between the programs. Um, this method is not always ideal for organizations for certain organizations, um, especially if you have like a virtual office space or if you can't readily split up um, the space in the building between programs. Um, but it definitely is used for certain organizations that have really clear departments or really quick clear uses of space. So I thought it was um, beneficial to mention as an option to allocate these types of costs. Um, And I wanna mention again that a combination of these indirect methodologies can absolutely be used depending on what kind of indirect costs you want to allocate. Um, What's important here is just that you consider the methodologies and pick the ones that work best for your organization and make the most sense. Um, You know, cost benefit analysis, which ones are easiest to implement and most representative of our activity and really the important thing is just that whatever is chosen again that it's well documented and that the policy is followed Um, as long as it's documented and consistent and a reasonable basis it generally will be accepted and hopefully will result in being representative of your overall organizational activity and with that, I will go ahead and turn it over to Lindsay to discuss some common pitfalls and potential solutions when it comes to generating your functional expense statement.
2: Thanks, Kim. So um, I did see another question pop up as well about uh, basically the distinction between management in general fundraising. So uh, I this is kind of a topic for another webinar, but for indirect rate calculations, a lot of times you're going to want to have uh, those of management in general versus fundraising because it's going to impact your NICRA or your your negotiated indirect uh, cost rate. So that is one reason that you would want to make a distinction between um, you know the, the government grant proposals versus just like a fundraising of other donations. So on the next slide we have some common pitfalls that we that we see. We do a lot of non profit organization audits, obviously. So we see a lot of functional expense uh, statements. So these are some of the top issues that we we see from time to time. The first being using a fixed percentage to allocate. As Kim reviewed, it is necessary to have a a systematic and rational basis for doing your allocation and to have that, that basis documented. So it's best to have a policy in writing So we don't want to just do an across-the-board fixed percentage um, because that's not going to be necessarily fair or accurate. And one important way to make sure that this is followed is to to make sure that your entire team is aware of of the idea of the uh, allocation and to properly identify expenses because it can't just be the accountant at the end of the day trying to sort out what needs to go where. So that will definitely help. The next we have on here is reporting all cost charts to a specific grant as programmatic, even though there are some that are uh, administrative in nature. So again, you just need to keep in mind maybe you have an accountant that's doing a financial report at the end of the quarter. So you do need to separate those out and make sure that you have things uh, recorded accurately. You know, a lot of organizations are very focused on on the percentages of program versus supporting services, and, and uh, in some places they are very aware of trying to make that ratio look better. Um, In other cases, maybe some clients just don't know the distinction. So so that is an area to definitely pay attention to. And uh, if you have any questions, ask your auditor or your accountant. The other opposite of this would be to kind of not allocate expenses to programs that could be. So for example, one of the topics that came up was depreciation. So maybe those assets are benefiting uh, your programs in addition to just the general office costs. And you want to make sure that you allocate that and, and get the full picture of the cost of your programs. Um, next topic on here, confusing federal indirect process with the financial statement reporting process. So our clients that get federal funding a lot of times are going to have a very distinct process regarding their federal indirect rate and the application of that rate, which is. I would say very separate from the preparation of your of your GAAP financial statements and the preparation of the functional fund statement. So you do need to be aware of that, and you may need, or you probably will need to have some different reports that you can use um, to, to use for either of those different purposes, essentially. And the last one on this page has to do with joint cost allocations. So we do have uh, clients that have, um, for example, a direct mail campaign where they are furthering the purpose of their organization. They're sending out information to the public that you know might benefit them. However, at the same time, they might be requesting funds back, um, so it's an appeal for the funds as well. So there are different criteria that you need to be aware of as you're looking at joint costs to make sure that some of those expenses uh, qualify. But it would also be important that if you do qualify under the joint cost allocation, that you can break those costs out because um, again, some of those costs might be program related and right now they're in fundraising. So um, that's another area to definitely look at and then consult your accountant or auditor if you, if you have questions on that. On the next slide, we have some additional areas. Um, improperly using categories of expenses that are not natural expense categories, so salaries, payroll taxes, utilities, etc. Sometimes we'll come in and a client will have a category of natural, a natural category called program expenses, for example. And the question is, you know, what type of expenses are those? Are they grants to other organizations? Are they, you know, supplies? So you really want to make sure to break out the actual natural category rather than lumping things into a program or we see another one administrative expenses often. Um, so be sure to look at that. The next item on here is too many categories. So as Ken mentioned, uh, can be overwhelming and make it really small so the reader can't really see what's going on. So definitely try to stay within maybe the five to 10 range, um, depending on your organization, but not get too too in the weeds with that. Uh, Not presenting significant programs separately and lumping into one program services category. So you don't wanna just have, maybe your organization has several programs that are significant to the operations of the organization overall. And so you'd want to separate those out as they're separate programs. Maybe you put in like a 10% and plus um, threshold, but you just want to make sure that you're presenting uh, significant programs on their own. That's an important one. And then the the last one on here, um, which is I guess kind of two in one is not showing function or fundraising expense, but the organization does have contributions or donations or you have membership and you don't have any membership development expenses. So those are just items that from a reader uh, perspective are gonna stand out and might kind of raise some questions as far as um, the accuracy of your statement. So those are some of the top ones that we see. And I think I'm now gonna hand it over to Lisa to go over just the the, the 990 and, and some areas on that.
4: Great. Thanks, Lindsay. Appreciate it.
2: So now it's time to review
4: the tax reporting of functional expenses. May I have the next slide, please? Thank you. So we just have a few minutes left, and I want to make sure we leave time for questions at the end. So I'll I'll give you as much information I have in, in the time we've got left for that. So the gap requirement for reporting of functional expenses is relatively new compared to the tax reporting requirement on Form 990. IRS has required this reporting on the 990 return since the 1970s, so really for quite a long time. The Statement of Functional Expenses is presented at Part 9 of Form 990, that's Roman numeral 9 IX. It provides a breakdown of an organization's expenses both by natural category and also by function, if that sounds familiar at all. Uh, That is by program services, management in general, and fundraising. Uh, Fundraising expenses are broken out separately, even if the funds raised through these efforts are used to fund your programs. Uh, That's a a common misperception and an important distinction. Uh, These two items get broken out, uh, fundraising versus program. The functional breakdown is only required on the 990 for 501c3 and 501c4 organizations. And again, that's been true practically since forever, since the 70s. Uh, It's optional, this breakdown, for other 990 filers to provide the functional breakout. Uh, And in my experience, most non c 3 C4 organizations don't break out by function because they don't have to, so why should you? Non-C3s and C4s are still required to provide their natural expense breakout in the totals column. They can't just get Part 9 altogether. Uh, You should use your regular overall method of accounting for completing this part of the 990 So if your financials are prepared using the accrual method for GAAP, you use the same method for the 99, etc., et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if, say, you don't have an audit or your organization's accounting system doesn't allocate expenses, then you can use any reasonable method of accounting here. You must report the amounts accurately and then document your allocation method in your record uh, for, for, that, uh, for that methodology. Uh, Note that all program expenses are grouped together in one column of the return, at part nine, column B. Uh, If your organization uh, does multiple programs, which many of you do, then typically those programs are broken out and described separately in detail at part three, No Roman numeral three of the return. Uh, That's the statement of program service accomplishments, the narrative section. Uh, These expenses are broken out by program in the narrative section. And then the total program expenses reported at both of these sections must, must agree to one another. The totals are presented at the bottom of Part 3 and also Part 9. Those, those two have to tie exactly uh, as part of an accurate return. Ideally, uh, the functional expense breakdown per the 990 should agree to or reconcile with the breakdown presented on the audited financial statements. Uh, there are a few what I'm going to call book-to-tax differences between GAAP and 990 reporting. So, for example, certain items like rental expenses and cost of goods sold are reported as expenses on the GAAP financial statement. And on the 990, they're reported as offsets to revenue at Part 8, Roman numeral 8. Also, sometimes grant expenses are allocated between program service and management functions on the financials, where on the 990, they're all supposed to be reported in the program column. In fact, uh, in the management general column on the 990 under grants, that's grayed out that you cannot put a number there at all. So any reconciliation between the GAAP and 990 functional expense reports should be documented in the file. That's pretty much true for all tax positions, actually. They should be documented. Uh, the 990 functional expense report typically asks for this information in greater detail than for audit reporting. Audit reporting in this area tends to be more condensed in the footnote. So what happens is that uh, often the statement of functional expenses gets prepared twice, right? First for the audit, and then again for the tax return. And this is double work that can be avoided. Now, I'm partial as a tax professional, but I suggest, humbly suggest that when preparing your statement of functional expenses, that you first prepare the more detailed schedule that you provide for the tax return. And then take that statement and condense it as needed to prepare your audit disclosure. Uh, This this seems like it's turning the process on its head a little bit, and it might seem kind of backwards because typically the audit reports and and information is prepared before the return information. But this uh, this way keeps you from having to do the same work later on in the process. Even if it takes some more time in the beginning, it can save you time in the long run, and we all have limited resources. So that's my pro tip for the day. And don't forget about joint cost reporting. the very last line at the bottom of part 9 asks for just the total of joint costs from a combined educational campaign and fundraising solicitation under what used to be called statement of position 982 and lindsay spoke a little bit about joint costs just now uh, when when that applies and you have a direct mail campaign for example or another joint cost uh or, or another uh, program where joint costs get allocated Uh, It tends to be covered in a separate footnote to the financial statements, and it's actually easy to miss this reporting requirement on the 990 because it's at the very bottom of the page, below the line for total expenses. I mean, I don't write the returns, but it's there, so I just wanted to take a little time to to remind you that that it is there if it applies to make sure that you make that disclosure in addition. Uh, May I have the next slide, please? Uh, Just a couple of words about direct expenses and indirect cost reporting on the 990. And Kim already covered this earlier, so I'll just say that there are a few ways to report the allocation of indirect expenses in Part 9, and they're listed here. Uh, I think the second one listed here is the better one, to show them as a category of other expenses at Line 24. Uh, often this line has a net zero effect when you're allocating these shared expenses across the functions uh, at at the bottom there at, at line 24. So you might see a zero in the totals column and then a breakout of, among of program management in general and fund raising. But it all it all comes out in the wash anyway. Next slide. Couple slides. Next slide. Thank you. All right, so now I'd just like to say a little bit about Charity Watch organizations that provide information to the public on nonprofits. Could I have the next slide? Thank you. Thank you. All right, so you know that uh, prospective donors use these Charity Watch organizations to help them decide how to allocate their funds. It can seem like a mystery how organizations are rated, and it's very important to have your organization presented in a good light in this very public way. I'm going to focus on Charity Navigator here, although there are many others. Uh, Charity Navigator is one of the largest and oldest evaluators of charities, and they're also very transparent about their process. Charity Navigator uses four key indicators or beacons that they use to rate charities. The beacons are listed here and are weighted based on what they think is the level of overall importance. They keep tweaking their methodology for the ratings because they've gotten a lot of feedback over the years that one size does not fit all when it comes to rating charities. You can be bigger, you can be smaller, uh, and the size and scope can really matter in terms of how these uh, objective ratings are applied. Uh, The information listed here on this slide is from their website as of last week. I don't know how much tweaking has been done between now and then, but let's just go with it for here. Uh, The 990 information falls under the accountability and finance beacon. Uh, The program service ratio falls uh, under the finance section of that beacon. And in each beacon, there are many, many factors that determine your total numerical score. A program service expense percentage of 70% or higher gets you the most points. And that's averaged over the three most recent fiscal years. Uh, You get 25 points in this particular area. Uh, with an average score of 70% or higher in program expense. Uh, You can still get points if your ratio is somewhere between 50 and 70%, but not as many. So that's kind of a good way to think about it. Um, It's not the only way, but it's it's one way to think about how much program service expense uh, is too much or too little. I also provide a link to the website if you want to learn more about how Charity Navigator rates charities. Again, they're very transparent about this process. And if you don't like your rating, you can also go to them and ask questions and uh, see if they get back to you. Uh, May I have the next slide, please? So charities and donors put a lot of stake into these ratings. Uh, Generally, organizations want to see their program service percentage look as high as possible, or or they think they do, because they think it looks better overall in the 990, which is a public document, remember, and also to help their ratings. People want to see a high program service percentage because it makes it look like you're committed to your programs, right? But a super high program percentage can be kind of misleading. It can be easy to lose sight of the fact that overhead keeps your organization running and fundraising keeps your organization afloat. These are necessary functions that support your programs and allow your organization to work effectively. For a well-run organization, a 90% program expense is probably incorrect. My guess is it's probably just too high, truthfully. Uh, Perhaps that organization isn't allocating its functional expenses properly. So see the earlier slides from, you know, proper allocation methodologies, et cetera. However, if you are allocating your expenses properly and you're at that really high range of 90% or higher uh, and very low overhead and fundraising costs, then you may need to rethink how your organization is operated because those models tend not to be sustainable over time. May I have the next slide, please? So to that end, maybe it's time to stop thinking about overhead and fundraising activities as necessary evils that take away from your program function. And instead, think of them of what I like to call core mission support. I really like this graphic that illustrates how important overhead is to your overall operation. Uh, Without it, your organization has no core stability. Someone's gotta pay the bills, right? Someone's gotta keep the lights on and handle all those important back office matters that happen in every company. Uh, Tax return and audit preparation, for example. Uh, Nonprofit organizations are no exception. These core functions shouldn't take up too much of your overall resources, of course. Uh, You do have to strike that right balance. But there's a real need for these functions to have a meaningful presence, and your program percentages ought to reflect that. And that is the end of my prepared remarks. Next slide, please.
1: Great. So we would now like to answer some of the questions that we've received from the audience. So one of them is, how do we report investment expenses on the 990s?
4: All right, I'll take that one. Um, That's a a great question. And uh, that's one of the book to tax differences that I mentioned earlier, how gap reporting and 990 reporting can be different. On the financial statements, investment expenses tend to be lumped in with overall investment income. And you very often just see one number for investment income in total on the financial statement. And that includes all your interest, dividends, uh, capital gains, unrealized gains, which is the you know uh, appreciation of your the value of your investment, and then any related investment expenses. So that's all lumped together. But on the 990 return, IRS actually wants you to break out the, uh, the investment expense piece and pull it out of that revenue. So then investment income is going to look a little bit higher in that regard. And uh, investment expenses are disclosed separately on its own line item on, at Part 9.
1: Great, thank you. So another question we received was, on the presentation of functional expenses, if direct benefits are netted in the statement of activities but shown in the functional expenses, within their natural classification, how does the statement of functional
2: expenses tie back to the statement of activities? Uh, I can respond to that one. So for our clients that do have that situation, we'll typically have the functional with those expenses in their correct line items and then show a line underneath the total expenses or the, I guess a subtotal for the um, expenses that are being taken back out and, and embedded on the statement of activities.
1: Okay. So another question, if we want to come up with a different allocation method than the several men- mentioned, would that generally be okay? Do you ever see different methodologies?
3: You can take that one. Um, It's absolutely acceptable if you want to come up with a different allocation methodology than one discussed today, or even any others out there that weren't discussed today that are well used that you didn't necessarily come up with absolutely fine um the important thing to remember is just that the methodology is supported by you know a reasonable basis um if you can defend your position on why you use that allocation methodology and if it's well documented in your policy and procedure manual um there generally is no issue with that um with, with taking that approach no uh i was
2: seeing a question in the chat regarding membership and kind of, like, I guess, the definition of membership or what constitutes that. And I, I think that is a kind of a good point because, yes, if you have membership dues, then you're going to expect to see uh, membership development costs functional. But we do see a lot of clients where membership doesn't really entail any actual uh, true benefits. So, in reality, those are more like contributions and the costs of, I guess, generating those contributions would then be fundraising expense. So I think it is important to take kind of the, uh, rather than just the term, kind of the true definition behind it and that the members are are getting some sort of benefit from the organization, whether you call them members or if there's another term that you have for them, partners or whatever, um, that are just membership dues at your organization, then that's what we're,
3: kind of
2: talking about with the membership development.
3: And I see another question in the chat here on how do in-kind services and goods affect the functional expense statement and the 990? I will defer to Lisa on the 990 portion of this, but at least on the gap and financial audit side, I've seen two different ways that this is approached. I've seen organizations um, present their in-kind or contributed non-financial assets in one natural expense category on the functional and then de- like develop between programs. Yeah. Or you can also not present it that way, and you can actually choose the natural expense categories that, they're re- that your in-kind services or goods are related to and include them within those line items. If you get pro bono legal fees, you could put the in-kind portion of that in the legal expense line and so on. Um, so it really depends on which approach you wanna take and what your organization prefers for presentation, at least on the financial statement audit side. But for the 990 side, Lisa, if you have any comments.
4: Yeah, thanks. A great question. Uh, I'll say, as with many tax questions, the answer to this one is it depends on uh, on, on the type of in-kind that's presented uh, on the 990. And typically, we do follow gap as a starting point. For the presentation, but uh, in-kind goods and in-kind services are presented differently from one another on the 990 return. The value of contributed goods is picked up, of course, as uh, non-cash revenue on one side, and then uh, as as expense on the statement of functional expenses uh, in in whatever natural expense and uh, function that the, that it follows gaps. But donated services are actually not reported on the 990 at all. It's a re- one of these book-to-tax differences. Again, it's a reconciling item. So we will remove of uh, the stated value, whatever that is, of donated services from both revenue and expense. So the net impact on your bottom line is going to be zero. But uh, donated services, if done correctly, are not reported anywhere on the Statement of Functional Expenses on the 990. All
1: right. Well... With that, we'd like to thank everyone for attending today's discussion. We encourage you to follow us on social media at GRFCPAs and visit our website for upcoming events and alerts. Please remember to complete the survey that will appear automatically following the session if you would like to earn CPE credit. Thanks again and have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to the GRF On The Co. podcast. Visit our website at grfcpa.com for more information about the services we provide, the industries we serve, or to request a quote.